Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. The football playoffs are finally here. Level one playoff action beginning this week around the state of Wisconsin. All but one game Friday night, one lonely game on Saturday, but it is finally time for the playoffs to begin. Today on the WSN podcast, we're going to take some time to talk about the playoffs, talk a little bit about the brackets, talk a little bit about the process, just review that. There were some, as there always is, there were some controversies in how seeds were assigned, how groups were assigned, where teams went, all that good stuff. We're going to talk about that. Also going to talk about, uh, just wrap up a little bit, some of the other playoff controversies that came out last week with a lawsuit filed by the Amherst uh, High School and the Tomorrow River School District that uh, that they represent. Also, some uh, an appeal that was uh, put in place by Owen Withy to try to get into the playoffs after they were out. And also going to give a little bit of a health update on uh, on myself and unfortunately why I had to miss the playoff reveal show on Saturday on Bally Sports Wisconsin. So that's what we'll run through today and also talk a little bit about uh, our, our predictions, my predictions uh, in each division. Publish those today on wisports.net. You can check those out along with uh, many of our other staff and media partner uh, folks around the state. If you want to get in on the action, you can also join in the free Pick'em contest run by our good friend Joe Herte, uh, a message board poster. Uh, if you want to Want to give it a shot? You can join in that free pick'em contest. You can find that at wisports.net as well. Hey, let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, again, unfortunately, I had to miss the playoff reveal show last Saturday that I was very much looking forward to. Uh, Bob Rayner did a great job filling in. Jay Wilson hosted. Jason Zaleski uh, also participated in that show. But I was supposed to be on that show. And as I uh, had, had alluded to last week, unfortunately, I could not be on that show. And just want to give you a little update on on why that was and, and what was going on with me. Um, normally, I, I, I wouldn't even mention it. But uh, for the fact that I did have to miss that after, you know, promising and and. Uh, saying that I was going to be involved. So uh, just wasn't feeling very well last week. Throughout the week, had uh, some abdominal things going on and sporadic chest tightness at different times throughout the week. And it it kind of got worse as the week went along. And I was trying to just get through the week, get to the weekend. Um, had my son's last freshman football game of the year on Thursday night. Had... Football on, on Friday, obviously, had had planned to go to the game of the week, which was Two Rivers at Chilton. Turned out to be a great game in three overtimes. Uh, New Rivers or Two Rivers won that one. The playoff show on Saturday, just trying to get through all of that. And the uh, the issues I was having just kind of built and built. I, I knew I wasn't feeling well, and I knew going out and standing in the cold for a couple hours and being exhausted wasn't going to... Uh, you know, do well for me. So I made the decision Friday, uh, late morning, early afternoon that I wasn't going to go to the game of the week, just try to, you know, relax and, uh, just, you know, get, get well for, for Saturday. Um, so I, I notified the, the good folks at Chilton and two rivers. I wouldn't be coming to that game. And Friday night came and I just kept feeling worse. Um, the, the chest tightness and the chest pressure got worse, and uh, I, I decided it was time to, unfortunately, head into the hospital and and get checked out. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Ed, I, I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, went to the ER, my wife took me to the ER, and uh, got hooked up to all the the machines and you know vitals and. They did blood work. I was in the hospital for a couple hours. I think it was three or four hours, actually. Um, everything came back good, though. Uh, all the vitals were good. They had been throughout the week, even when I'd not been feeling well. Uh, the blood work came back good. Um, I have a uh, appointment coming up here shortly with my primary care physician to to check in again. But um, 
most likely what it was is some gastrointestinal issues that were causing me not to feel well and, and create some pressure. And then anxiety about how I was feeling, which made me feel worse, which made me have more anxiety about how I was feeling, which made me feel worse. And it just built and built and crescendoed to the point where, um, you know, I, I needed to, to pursue some, uh, some other op- options there. Um, you know, it was a busy time. Yes, absolutely. It's a busy time of the year, uh, you know, finishing up football. My, both my sons are finishing up their seasons. The eighth grade team that I help coach finishing up their season. Basketball's just getting started for youth, youth basketball in Reedsburg. Um, yes, absolutely a lot going on. I, not any busier or more stressful than any other time, to be honest with you. I, I was looking forward to doing the playoff reveal show. I've done TV a number of times, probably 40 or 50 times at, at different points over the years. Um, didn't feel anxious about that part of it. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to it. It was more, uh, I, I think, um, the anxiety about how I was feeling, which again, just built and built and built on top of each other, uh, culminating in, in missing out on the uh, playoff reveal show and, and spending a couple hours in the hospital on, on Friday. So going to get checked out, going to, you know, make sure that I continue to try to take care of uh, what I need to take care of to stay healthy and, and be good. Um, but as of right now, I'm anticipating going to the game of the week this week, which for level one, the quick trip in Wisconsin dairy game of the week, as voted on by you, the fans over 5,000 votes cast will be Germantown at Slinger. This will be the first time I will have seen either team in person. Looking forward to making the trip to Slinger, looking forward to everything being good and, uh, excuse me, getting back to, uh, getting back to normal. So just wanted to give a little update on, uh, on what happened and, and why I was not uh, able to be part of the, the playoff reveal show on Saturday. But we're, we're moving forward. And again, we've got a great slate of games, that uh, Germantown at Slinger game, one of our five nominees for Quick Trip and Wisconsin Dairy Game of the Week. Some good games mixed in there. We've got good games throughout the playoffs. There's some really interesting and intriguing level one games coming up here in the very first week of the high school football playoffs. But before we get there, I do want to go back and, and clean up a few things from last week, including uh, a couple controversies that we seem to have every year in the football playoffs and just the playoffs in general uh, for, for a number of sports. But first of all, Owen Withy had, uh, had filed an appeal to be eligible for the playoffs this year. They were not eligible per the WIAA. Um, it's kind of a, a long, long story that goes back a few years, but Owen Withy had moved from 11-player to 8-player football after the 2020 season without uh, permission, without going through the, the normal process and the normal timeline that is required to move out of a conference. The punishment uh, at that time was a four-year playoff ban, but it was just amended, uh, I can't remember if it was this year or last year at the annual meeting, to a two-year playoff ban. So... Uh, Owen Withy should have been out of the playoffs for 21 and 22. However, there was some uh, a little bit of confusion and there was a little bit of miscommunication on uh, Owen Withy and the WIA. Owen Withy felt like they were out for 21 and back in for 22. There was some communication from the WIAA that seemed to indicate that was the case as well. They, they corrected that. Uh, Owen Withy should have been out for 21 and 22. I don't know that anyone is is disputing that, but there had been some communication that indicated they could be in in 22. Uh, they appealed to to get in, uh, but they were denied uh, because again they left their conference. They left the Marywood along with a couple other teams, uh, left them without games uh, and moved to eight player, and uh, so the punishment was a two year playoff ban. And that uh, this year would be the final year that they would uh, officially serve that. Um, Thorpe and Athens were also uh, in that boat. So Owen Withy, uh, out of the playoffs, despite an outstanding year, they're undefeated in the regular season, uh, having a very good season. Um, you know, it made, made some news and, and some headlines that they were not allowed in, but that was the situation there. 
And then the news last week, uh, later in the week, that Amherst had been uh, identified to have used an ineligible player throughout the season. Uh, when that was uh, identified, they were they they did an internal investigation and and uh, verified that he was ineligible. The penalty for using an ineligible player is forfeiture of any games that they played in, which meant all of their wins prior to week nine had to be forfeited, which meant that they would not be able to qualify for the playoffs. Uh, that information came out on Thursday. The, the press release did. The notification to the school or to the WIAA that there was a possible violation was on Monday. They went through the process. There was a, a board of control appeal uh, one or two, I'm not sure, uh, that that was done and was denied. Initially, uh, Amherst, the, the school district that Amherst High School is in is called the Tomorrow River School District. And Amherst High School is part of that district. It's the only high school in the district, um, which confused a few people, but uh, that's, that's the case there. Uh, initially, their press release on Thursday said they would not be seeking uh, legal recourse, as we have seen other schools do in the past, including Edgewood last year. But then Friday morning, they did file a uh, for a temporary injunction in Portage County Circuit Court to try to have their case heard because they would they wanted to have those um, those forfeits vacated and their wins reapplied and be eligible for the playoffs and. They were not able to get in before a judge on Friday, uh, so they were deemed ineligible for the playoffs uh, because of they did not have enough wins after those forfeits were applied. They were not part of the uh, playoff field that was determined by the WIAA, um, but then Monday, they got their day in court in front of a, a judge in Portage County, both the... Uh, the Tomorrow River School District and the WIAA filed a number of briefs before the court. They had about an hour of, uh, of oral arguments and testimony that they were able to go through. Um, Amherst acknowledged that they did use an ineligible player. The player in question uh, was a homeschooled uh, student in 2018 and enrolled, not, not enrolled, excuse me, was homeschooled, but per state law, participated on the football team at the lower levels at Manawa in 2018. There's a little bit of discrepancy. Amherst believes that player was an eighth grader at that time, which would have been a violation. The WIA indicated that they had um, uh, materials that they provided to the court anyway, that the student was listed as a ninth grader by the parents when they uh, sought to have that player participate at Manawa in 2018. So there's some disagreement there. Um, but 2018 played lower level at Manawa. 2019 went to a private school, uh, non-WIAA school, uh, then later transferred to Amherst. Amherst information uh, that they received said that the student was a freshman at Saint or St Stevens Point Christian Academy in 2019. So they're thinking they're getting a freshman, uh, actually a sophomore in 2020. Long story short, the player played this year, which you only get four years to play high school sports. And your clock to play four years starts when the, uh, the, the first time that you play. It's continuous. You don't get to take a red shirt year. You don't get to take a pause or a break. You get four years. So this would have been the fifth year uh, for this student. Um, so it, there's not really any question as to the eligibility of the athlete. Uh, I think I think both sides agreed that the, the student should have been ineligible and is ineligible. Amherst's contention was that they did not know and could not have known that the student participated at Manawa in 2018. Um, and then also, uh, there is a, a, uh, a stipulation or a clause for ineligibility situations where schools can appeal based on contribution to victory. And that was really the crux of the legal argument and, and the, the biggest argument for Amherst um, that the player did not, uh, that, that, that they would have won those games or, or many of those games 
enough to qualify for the playoffs anyway, they would have won those games without that player. Um, in testimony heard at the uh, WIA uh, from the WIAA at the trial, they indicated that records showed that the player in question played 43% of the snaps this year, that the player kicked a game-winning field goal in one game, that uh, you know that that they felt that went beyond the scope of the uh, the contribution to victory clause, which uh, again Amherst felt. Uh, they would have won those games without that player, and, and they probably do. Uh, but in past application of that rule, it, it's not so much this player caused us to win. It is, uh, it is meant to be a situation where maybe a player, maybe you have a manager that you put in at the end of a game you know, that, that doesn't play, and you're just trying to reward them and recognize them, and, but they hadn't been eligible um, but they went in for 20 seconds at the end of a game or something like that. That, that has been the past application and the WIA's interpretation of the contribution to victory. Um, not, not a causing of victory, but you know that, that, that has been their interpretation. And so uh, ultimately, the judge in the case declined to grant a temporary restraining order to the Tomorrow River School District and Amherst High School's football program which meant that the WIA's decision stood, which meant that, unfortunately, Amherst was out of the playoffs. Um, again, Amherst felt like uh, at least some of the games um, in, in question would not have been impacted. There was, I think, three games they alluded to specifically that were uh, either running clock or near running clock games in the first half that even without that player, they win those easily Um and even if you, even if they accepted that they would have to forfeit a couple of other games that were a little bit closer, that the player uh, participated in, you know these other games they would have won handily without him. And so, as it is, uh, again Amherst out of the playoffs, unfortunately, um, and we got to move on anyway on on Monday. Uh, at that point, we were unsure if if. Amherst would have been granted an injunction, then they would have been back in the playoffs. Somebody else would have been out, um, would have changed the division cut lines uh, potentially, would have changed a couple of regional groupings, would have changed seeds, would have changed matchups, would have changed a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of things potentially. But uh, with Amherst losing that that uh, that court case, uh, things move forward as uh, as they have been. Uh, that's not without the, a little bit of, uh, of, of change that had to happen after the brackets first came out on Saturday. Um, they had to be adjusted after they were released uh, on the, the playoff reveal show. What happened is uh, there are two uh, co-ops in the state, actually three now, but two that are playoff eligible, that have a Illinois school as part of their co-op. That's allowed by WI rules. Everything is fine. Um, Benton and Scales Mound have, have been co-oping for a number of years. Uh, Schulzberg joined that tri-op a few years ago. But you still have to count the enrollment for those Illinois schools. And, and because they're not WIA member schools, the WIA does not have their enrollments right away. They have to get those later on and add them in. Um, when we received the enrollments from the WIAA before the year started, uh, I noticed that the Illinois schools had not been included in those enrollment numbers for teams, uh, which is not uncommon. It's that that's happened that way in the past. I asked the WIA uh, if they had the enrollment numbers for those Illinois schools to add into those co-ops. They said they did not have them yet, um, and I hadn't really paid much attention to it after that. We used last year's enrollments for those Illinois teams in our projections that we had been doing. Um, but the WIA had not updated those Illinois enrollments. So long story short, Benton Scales Mound Schulzberg's enrollment from the WIAA initially did not include the enrollment for Scales Mound. So they were placed in Division 7 initially with enrollment of 160 or 40 or something like that. Uh, but you got to add in Scales Mound to that, uh, to that enrollment, and they had not. So when that was determined and, and caught after the fact, they had to collect that and add that into those enrollments. And then 
after they had already released the brackets, they had to make a couple of corrections where Benton Scales Mount Schulzberg moved up from D7 to D6. Bangor dropped from D6 to D7 as a result. They had to change a couple of the groupings, which changed a couple seeds, which changed a couple matchups. Um, so early Saturday afternoon, that was all fixed and corrected. Not the way that obviously uh, anybody would like it to go. You don't want to have to correct brackets after they're released, but that's what happened. Um, Blackhawk Warren, by the way, was the same situation. Warren's enrollment was not included. However, even when you included Warren, Illinois' enrollment in that, that team, they still were in Division Seven, so they did not actually have to get moved, even though, again, that, uh, that enrollment issue happened with them as well. So that was corrected. The new brackets came out, which, again, only a couple divisions and a couple groupings, groupings were impacted, and everybody got to digest, look at, and uh, start getting ready. But that didn't, didn't end everything, right? Uh, as there always are, there was some controversy over what groupings teams went with, the strength of certain groupings, how they were assigned. Um, seeds was a big thing as well. And I just want to review the process a little bit and talk about how that's done, how, how the playoffs work, because there's still confusion I understand it, uh, but you know, just want to go through all of those different things and, and make sure everybody's on the same page when we're talking about playoffs and why certain things happened. Um, but as a reminder, not every team in Wisconsin in football makes the playoffs. There are roughly 360 teams in 11-player football that are eligible for the postseason. Only 224 of those teams make it into the postseason. Your qualification for the playoffs is based on how you finish in your conference because that's what you that's what you can control and, and that's you know that's what's assigned to you anyways. Um, if you finish four and three, if you finish over 500 in conference, you're guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. If you finish 500 or below, then you are subject to a number of tie-breaking procedures. And we've gone over those tie-breaking procedures in the past. But the long and short of it is the better you do, the better wins you have, the better chance that you can get in via that tiebreaker procedure. So that is determination of the playoff field. The, the process for that is different than how groups are assigned and how seeding works. So we have to make sure we separate those things. Once the playoff field is determined, 224 teams are determined to be playoff qualifiers. Then the... Uh, the field is broken into seven divisions of 32 teams in each division. After that, then you have to work on regional groupings and assignments within each division. Each division of 32 teams has four eight-team groupings. It is done geographically to try to minimize travel. Uh, the As the WI has said a number of times, it is a regional tournament. They are they are conducting a regional tournament to crown a state champion at the end of the, the tournament. Their goal, and people don't like this, but they have, they have said this before, their goal is not necessarily to get the two best teams to play in the state championship game. If it happens, great. If it happens not that way, that is the impact of having a regional-based interscholastic tournament. The caveat to it being a regional-based tournament is that in the regulations, there is an attempt to try to even out some of the top teams a little bit. And what they do is they try to, they identify all of the conference champions in a division, and they attempt to equitably divide those throughout the geographical groupings, attempt to. Sometimes it works that way, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, you have 10 conference champions in a, in a division and two groupings get three and two groupings get two and that's just how it works. It's not trying to create equal groupings. It is attempt to, attempting to, when available, without causing, you know, significant travel issues any more than there already are, an attempt to equitably divide them throughout the ge geographical groupings. Those are the only schools that get any 
preference when splitting up teams by geography into four geographic sections. If you don't win your conference ch uh, championship, you're just going to be assigned by geography. And I've been a part of that process a couple years ago. As I've talked about before, 10 people could look at Division Two, all the 32 teams and where they're located on a map and divide them 10 different ways and it would still none of them be wrong necessarily. It's just an imperfect science. There is subjectivity to it. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. Um, again, you could do it different ways and none of them would be wrong. So they just do it the best that they can, trying to split up conference champions and trying to split up undefeated conference champions, teams that finish undefeated in conference play. Um, and then from there, it's just a geographical tournament. And that creates issues sometimes where if a couple of the best teams or a number of the best teams are all in the same geographic area, yes, some groupings are stronger than others. There's no, uh, no doubt about that. But it's just what it is when it's a geographic-based tournament. And that is uh, you know, the emphasis for the WIAA. That is what the member schools have chosen to, to do throughout all sports. It is a geographic-based tournament trying to have representation at different levels and throughout the playoffs from different areas of the state, different size schools, obviously, with, uh, with divisions. So that's what it is. Now we get to probably the, the this year anyway, the most controversial part of it, although in the past it's usually how the, the groupings are drawn, uh, which is the seating. This is the second full year of computer seating of the playoffs. The seeding process is different. The procedures, the, the variables that go into it are different than playoff qualification. All games that you play, all games that you play are included in your seeding. Non-conference, conference, replacement games, what have you. Forfeits are not included, and that, that has thrown things off a little bit this year and in years past, I think. We'll talk about that. But the, uh, the seating criteria are, and, and factors are clearly uh, stated. They have been clearly discussed and disseminated over the years. So I, I don't know why there's still confusion uh, about what goes into seating. Right now, head-to-head -head does not apply to seating. It might. We'll talk about that later, too. Uh, down the road, that is. Um, Head-to-head -head does not apply. Where you finish in your conference does not apply. It doesn't matter. If you were the second-place team, uh, it doesn't matter when it comes to seeding. Seeding is looking at your overall body of work. The factors that go into seeding are your own winning percentage, your opponent's winning percentage, your opponent's opponent's winning percentage, your defeated opponent's winning percentage, your defeated opponent's opponent's winning percentage. Those last four are attempts to account for strength of schedule, the quality of the teams and, and quality of the opponents that you have played this year. Other factors, historical conference playoff win percentage. That looks at three years of historical data for the teams in your conference. Your own historical team playoff winning percentage. And what those two are attempts to do is to try to smooth out some of the differences in the strength of conferences. There are some conferences that are obviously very, very tough, and that is determined not just by us saying, oh, that's a good conference, or that's the best conference in the state. It, it, gives, it uses uh, objective criteria to identify whether your conference is strong or not, and that is by your, your conference's historic playoff winning percentage. It also, again, looks at your own playoff winning percentage. So not to pick on them too much, but the Milwaukee City Conference has not had a lot of success in the playoffs over the years. And that has resulted sometimes in, in those teams getting seated higher because they have good regular season records uh, or in a formula, they would get seated higher because of their regular season record, uh, whereas their, their conference really isn't that strong. And so this is an attempt to, to do that, uh, to, to smooth that a little bit. Now, if you look at the brackets, there were, I believe, three MPS teams that got a home game this year, 
And I think part of that is because the, the MPS teams were spread out throughout the brackets much more than I think I have ever seen. In Division One, MPS teams were in three different brackets. In Division Two, MPS teams were in two different brackets. And then um, Milwaukee Washington was in Division Three. So you're talking about six different groupings for those teams from MPS uh, across three different divisions, which, you know, a lot of times they're they're all put together in one grouping. Um, but again, that that's part of the criteria is your 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 own and your conference's historical playoff win percentage going back three years. This is a strength of loss game value, which attempts to give uh, give credit to the idea that not all losses are the same. That if you lose a game against a good team, that's better than losing a game against a bad or a bad team. So uh, those are the criteria. There is no head-to-head. There is no conference record. There is no place in your conference. Those are not part of it. Now, certainly they come into play sometimes. I mean, obviously, you know, the teams that you beat in conference are factored into your own winning percentage and your opponent's winning percentage, so on and so forth. Um, one of the ideas uh, behind the defeated opponent's winning percentage was, all right, let's not just look at, you know, who did you play, but who did you beat? At some point, good teams have to beat good teams. So just because you played a tough conference or a, a tough schedule does not necessarily mean that, you know, you did anything with it. So, yes, if you play a tough schedule, you get credit or you get, you know, an impact in your seating. But if you beat a good schedule, you beat good teams, that gives you even more benefit. So again, those are the things that go into this seating. People want to know the exact formula. It is not released uh, with the idea that, uh, you know, you don't want, the WIA did not want in the coaches associations, both football and basketball, that use computer seating. There are different formulas, by the way. But uh, similar idea that, they did not want teams to try to game the system, game the seeding by scheduling certain teams to try to get a better seed. The idea is to play who you play, and then the seeding will evaluate how you did. Um, I'll, I'll give you a tip. If you want to be seeded higher, win more games and play a better schedule. I, I don't know what other better way to put that. And especially in a sport like basketball, where you have so many more non-conference games that you can play, uh, that can impact seeding, whereas in football there's only two, you know, you also have to think of it this way. Do I want to play certain teams to improve my seed, or do I want to play certain teams to improve my team? Do I want to play tough competition to get better throughout the year, to get better for when I get into the playoffs, or do I want to play weaker competition that I can beat to get a better seed? And if, if you're a coach that wants to play weaker competition to get a better seed, okay, I'll take the coach and the team that challenged themselves and maybe took a loss or two out of that that perhaps impacted their seeding but made them a better team. So that's, that's my little spiel on, on the seeding. Again, no head-to-head, but we saw a number of cases again this year where head-to-head... Um, you look at some of the seeds and, and you scratch your head over the impact of head-to-head and lack of impact of head-to-head on some of these. And it it happened most it happened most significantly in Division One, where once again Muskego and McGuanago played each other, and it was the inverse of last year. Last year, Muskego beat McGuanago in the regular season, but later Muskego lost to Oconomowoc. So they had very similar overall bodies of work, but Muskego's loss to Oconomowoc was a pretty bad loss. If you have a bad loss in this in the seeding criteria, it really negatively impacts you. Whereas McGuanago's only loss was to Muskego. So McGuanago's loss was better, which meant last year McGuanago got the one seed over Muskego, even though they had the same record and Muskego beat them head-to-head. This year it was the inverse. McGuanago beat Muskego, but McGuanago lost to Catamaran, who, outstanding team, one of the favorites in Division Two, but their record was not as good as the team that Muskego lost to. So many other factors being similar, Muskego 
got the one seed, McGonagall got the two seed. And then in that same grouping, uh, big time controversy with the Southeast Conference schools, Badger, Franklin, and Oak Creek ended up, uh, excuse me, uh, Racine Horlick, Franklin, and Oak Creek ended up four, five, and six uh, together in that grouping. Oak Creek beat both of those schools head to head. Racine Horlick lost to both of those other two schools head to head. And yet Racine Horlick got the four seed ahead of Franklin and Oak Creek because head to head was not a factor in the seeding. Uh, Horlick did beat Badger, who was the three seed in that group. So that was a good win for them. Uh, Oak Creek lost to Racine Park, which was a bad loss on their resume, which certainly negatively impacted their seeding. And then Oak Creek's Non-conference win, only non-conference win, was over Union Grove, who finished 3-6. and six. Uh, Franklin's only non-conference win was over uh, Fond du Lac, who, a very good team, but did not have the season that you would expect. So they, um, you know, I, I, I think, and I don't have the exact numbers, okay, so don't don't yell at me uh, about it or, or whatever. Or you can yell at me because I was on the, the seating committee that put all this together. Um, Franklin did not have as good of a defeated opponent's score as did Horlick. So that is why Horlick was seated ahead of Franklin in Oak Creek, because Oak Creek had a bad loss. Neither Franklin or Oak Creek outside of conference had you know, a, a great, very good win, whereas Horlick did have a pretty good win in non-conference. So again, all conference and non-conference games are factored in. But this is a situation where you certainly understand why Oak Creek would be upset that they beat Franklin and Horlick head-to-head. All three of those teams ended up with the same overall record. Again, don't look at conference standings, although I understand why you, you would want to. Um, but uh, that is why I, I'm pretty certain, as you look at the, the results of the how the seeding played out, Horlick had a good win. Franklin did not really have a good win outside of the, the head-to-head matchups. Uh, and Oak Creek had a bad loss, and, and that's why it ended up that way. Now, I will say, there have been already discussion about, and there was discussion last year, after last year, about incorporating head-to-head in some capacity. It would not be as simple as, I beat you, I have to be seated ahead of you. Because there's a lot more that goes into it. You're trying to judge teams by their entire body of work. Uh, as we saw last year, if, if you just look blindly at head-to-head, does that mean that Oconomowoc, who was the eight seed last year, should have gotten a one seed over Muskego? Or a two seed over Muskego? No. So it, it's not just a blind blind thing. Um, the The conversations that I have seen are a more tailored and nuanced and targeted approach to using head-to-head. And of course, not everybody plays each other either. So, you know, you're, you're evaluating eight teams within a grouping, and if only two of them have played each other, you know, it's hard to utilize that throughout the whole thing. So if anything, my suggestion, my, my thought is if teams are seated next to each other, then you maybe look at head-to-head as part of that criteria. If I'm a three and the person that beat me is a six, okay, no, we're not going to look at head-to-head because then that six seed could potentially jump a four or five, four and or five, that they don't have as good a resume as. So the thought is you only look at head-to-head if they're seated next to each other which would be the case in Muskego Maguanago, which would be the case in Badger, or excuse me, in, uh, in Horlick, Franklin, and Oak Creek. And you look at head-to-head in those situations only, where they're seated next to each other in the same grouping, and it's a very targeted use of head-to-head. If everybody played each other, absolutely. You, know, you can use head-to-head a lot easier, but that is the thought process. That's kind of where things are uh, that, that I feel they, they could be best utilized anyway. We also saw a head-to-head issue in Division 5 in Group A, uh, and this one was, a I think, even more controversial than the Oak Creek-Franklin-Horlick issue. 
Northwestern was undefeated. They beat St. Croix Falls. It was the only loss for St. Croix Falls. But St. Croix Falls got the one seed and Northwestern got the two. And a big part of that was because of their strength of schedule. Northwestern played a couple teams that did not do very well. I think their combined record was 6-12. and 12. Whereas St. Croix Falls, they're, uh, and that's non-conference, by the way, because obviously they play the same conference schedule. So outside of the game against each other, you know, they, they have the same everything else. Um, St. Croix Falls non-conference, they played a couple teams that had pretty good records. I believe they were 14-4 and four combined, the teams that St. Croix Falls beat. So that is, I believe, a big reason why St. Croix Falls got the uh, the one seed over Northwestern. The other caveat to that, and this, this may be looked at as well, is Barron forfeited to St. Croix Falls in week nine. So that meant that Barron ended up finishing 0-9. That meant that Barron's record, because it was a forfeit, Barron's record did not apply on anything for St. Croix Falls because you don't count uh, forfeits. Barron did play Northwestern, and Northwestern got a win, obviously, for their overall record, but for their opponent's record, their opponent's opponent's record, all that, uh, they did not, or they, they included Barron's 0-9 record, whereas St. Croix Falls did not have Barron's 0-9 record as part of those criteria because it was a forfeited game. So that's something that could be looked at as well. You know, you don't want to... It, it's tough. You don't want to give teams, you know, wins that they didn't earn. You don't want to encourage forfeits. You don't want to, um, you know, have forfeits in play, but they are, and that's the reality. Uh, you know, 2020 was obviously a year where there was a lot of forfeits, and it was a lot of uncontrollable forfeits with COVID. And there was even a few last year. Um, and that was kind of the forfeits that were in play when the idea of not including forfeited games was, was largely discussed. The idea of a team canceling their season or canceling their last game, forfeiting their last game because they just don't have enough to, to play, you know, that that's a little different scenario. So that might be revisited as well. So again, that Northwestern St. Croix Falls was another controversial situation. I I think a large part of it was their the the non-conference schedule that they played. St. Croix Falls was tougher. And then I I I think it could be that that barren issue of a forfeited uh week 9 game against St. Croix Falls could have been enough to impact that as well. So again, that's something that that could get reviewed as well. Doesn't make the folks at Northwestern any happier. Um, of course, the folks in Northwestern, um, as has been pointed out by a few others, got the, the benefit of kind of the old seeding system back in 2019 when Northwestern and Stratford were in the same group. Stratford had not allowed a point all year, uh, but because Northwestern had a couple more conference teams with them, Northwestern was voted the one seed by the teams in that group. Stratford was the two seed. And there was a lot of controversy about that one. And that was, of course, coach-seeded. So, yes, there's controversy in the seedings. Yes, there's things that people are going to look at and understandably be able to, to say, hey, this doesn't look right. But that also happened when coaches seeded. That also happened when it was the old system where there was criteria used to determine the top four teams in each group. And then everything else was assigned geographically. So... Long story short, people are going to be mad no matter what it is because they're going to see things differently, and that's understandable. Doesn't mean that things can't be improved. And again, I think head-to-head will certainly be looked at, potentially the forfeit idea um, looked at as well uh, to continue to improve it. Uh, the WIA wanted two years, two full regular years of, of data to be able to review to look at the seeding uh, information and determine what needed to be tweaked. Because quite honestly, I mean, I, I know there's some things that people didn't like elsewhere, but quite honestly, if if the head-to-head gets adjusted a little bit, where, again, if, if you're in the same group, you're seated on the same line, you know, next to each other on the seed line, 
that head-to-head comes into play, I think most of the controversy is gone. And uh, it, it could be uh, a good thing moving forward. So that's seeding. That's how it worked, how it went, why it went that way. Um, and again, we'll, we'll be reviewed uh, in, in the offseason. Let's take one more chance to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, we've talked about why things went the way they did in the playoff information. Now let's talk about how we think things will go with the high school football playoff uh, coming up this week. Uh, You would have seen in my divisional previews, I picked every level one game of the the week with the exception of Reedsburg versus Notre Dame. As I said, my son is a freshman in the Reedsburg program, and uh, I will not be picking any games involving Reedsburg. Uh, Pretty cool experience for him, though. They get to suit up for varsity this week and any playoff games going forward. Um, The the freshmen will. uh, Many of them are taking advantage of that. So cool experience for him but it means I will not be uh, picking any Reedsburg games going forward. It does mean, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, it does mean in a couple years, maybe next year, uh, I've got some, uh, some decisions to make on you know, what's, what's going to happen with, our, with my involvement and my coverage of uh, high school football. I'll be straight honest with you. When my son is on varsity, I will be going to his games uh, and not – not going to other games throughout the season. Um, I, I won't be missing any games as long as he's playing. We will still uh, continue to work with our great partners on our game of the week and figure out an alternative. Uh, likely one of our other staff members will will go to those games. Um, I will still cover high school football, certainly. Um, but any instances you know where um, you know it, it involves picking or whatever, uh, I won't be won't be doing that, whether it's preseason conference previews or playoff picks or whatever. Uh, once he's playing on varsity, it'll be a little different. But I'll, again, I'll still be covering high school football. I'll still be doing 99% of, of everything that I do now, but that'll be a little bit different. So let's talk about my previews and my picks. Uh, again, you can find the, the all of the level one picks on the divisional previews, but you also would have seen this week our staff and media partner picks where we picked the final four in each division, the state championship matchup, and ultimately the team that we think is going to win the state championship in high school football in each division. Many of our staff were involved in that. Uh, All of our staff were involved at WSN, and then a number of our great media partners around the state. You can check them out. Our good friend Jimmy Kuska, Zach Bellman from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Dick Graceffa from DG Sports, Dennis Semrau from ESPN Madison, Dan Pfeiffer, Chuck Freeman from Football Friday Night, Bob Brainerd, our good friend at Bally Sports Wisconsin, Wade Bates from WBEV, Alex Thomas, the scorer in Appleton, Brad Williams from Results Broadcasting in Shawano, Mike Zwiefel from Big Radio, and Jason Zaleski from Zaleski Sports. So great to have them on board. I'll just run through my picks really quick, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. We'll, we'll get into the actual games, and you know people can prove things on the field, and if they Prove me wrong. If you win a game I picked you to lose, awesome. <laughs> if I provided any extra incentive or motivation or bulletin board material and you win a state championship and you're that excited about it, send me a championship ring or a, a t-shirt or something um, if, it, if it benefited you that much. If you, as, as I've said before, if you, if you need external motivation at this time of the year based on what I pick or say or someone else says, um, you're going to have a hard time, I think. If you're not intrinsically, intrinsically motivated, then there's, there's some, some problems. Let's go over it, though. Eight-player football. Newman Catholic was a heavy favorite by, uh, by most everybody in our projections. Um, that's who I have winning it. A little tougher after Newman. I think they're a very clear favorite. I had Newman beating DeSoto. In the state championship game was Siren and Gibraltar also making it into that final four. Um, you know, went back and forth on Gibraltar or DeSoto and, and went back and forth, honestly, on DeSoto and Belmont in, uh, I think that would have been a level two matchup. They were in the same grouping. So, 
you know, if you ask my confidence level in New, in New, uh, Newman Catholic winning pretty high, who else they're, they're going to play? Um, not, not so high on the confidence level there. Division 7, it was uh, pretty resoundingly in favor of Regis winning Division 7, and that's what I have overcashed in. I really think those are the two best teams in Division 7. Regis will have a tough one with Edgar, potentially in Level 3. Edgar you know, would, would be another top 5 team, in, in my opinion, in Division 7. I also had Potosi-Cassville in Reedsville making it to the state uh, semifinals. Blackhawk Warren was another team. Uh, River Ridge that I looked at Bangor and said, you know, that's that's a a good team that I just gotta I gotta pick someone somewhere. So uh, Division Six, St. Mary Springs was a, a pretty strong favorite in D six, although there was you know a little bit of over all over the board. We had some folks, excuse me, that picked Coleman, Darlington, Kenosha, St. Joseph, Stratford. But St. Mary Springs was the uh, was the favorite anyway amongst our prediction panel, and that was who I pred- predicted to win Division Six as well. I like Springs over Darlington in a state championship game. That's a, a rematch that we've seen in the past in the playoffs, with Stratford and Mondovi also making it to the Final Four. Division Five, I think I think we're looking at a rematch of a state title game from last year in Division Five, but I have it going the other way, and that seems to be a pretty popular pick. Mayville over Aquinas is the is what I went with in Division Five, Southern Door and Broadhead Judah, uh, I had also making it to the Final Four. Broadhead Judah lost a couple games this year to Adams Friendship and Prairie du Chien. I was high on them before the year. I still like them a lot, so I've got them getting to the Final Four in Division Five. Division Four, nobody went out on a limb and picked anything other than Catholic Memorial to win again. The most common state title game matchup, though, is the one that I had as well. Catholic Memorial over Columbus in Division 4. I had Little Shoot and Two Rivers as the other teams in Division 4 to make it to the state semifinals. Division 3, I had Monroe over on Alaska. You know, I, I, this was a tough one for me because, quite honestly, I think in, uh, in Division 3, a couple of the best teams are all grouped together in uh, in Group C, it would be, where Pewaukee, not happy that they got a four seed as the defending state champions. There are only two losses. School pickup time. Sorry about that. The uh, the only two losses for uh, Pewaukee this year against Catholic Memorial. And uh, who was the other? Uh, was it Brookfield Central they lost to in the non-conference? Now I'm, I'm spacing for a second. Um, I'll look it up quickly, but Pewaukee seven and two overall, one conference loss to Catholic Memorial, and uh, you know looking very good once again as a defending state champion. But got a four seed, which means a potential matchup with um, with Monroe, top ranked Monroe in level two. Yes, they they lost to Brookfield Central seven nothing back in week two. So that was probably the hardest game to pick, and quite honestly. I think those are the two best teams along with Onalaska. If I had to rank them, I'd probably go Monroe, Pewaukee, Onalaska. So, you know, if Pewaukee beats Monroe, then I'm, I'm kind of, my picks are shot. But uh, I had Monroe over Onalaska with Menasha and New Berlin West also making it to the Final Four. I really like New Berlin West. Got a chance to see them beat New Berlin Eisenhower a few weeks ago in the Quick Trip in Wisconsin Dairy Game of the Week. Um, I think they could uh, could be a threat as well. Division two, I had Sun Prairie East over River Falls. And this is another situation where in a regional grouping, I think you've got the two top teams in Division two, with Kettle Moraine and Sun Prairie East both being in Group C, the top two seeds there. I think those are the two best teams in Division two and, and would be my picks as, uh, as the two best. But they would meet in, le- in Level 3, went back and forth on it. I took Sun Prairie East. Uh, and took them to win a state title over River Falls with Slinger and Brookfield Central also in there. But again, my my caveat would be, I think Kettle Moraine is probably the second best team in Division Two. Um, maybe they'll go out and win over Sun Prairie and prove me wrong and and be the best team in Division Two. Um, but uh, if I had to pick, I, I I took Sun Prairie East for right now. And that would be an interesting story, right? An, an amazing story 
of Sun Prairie last year was kind of that theme of the last dance with this before the school split, um, runner up to Franklin, you know, this year, the uncertainty of how that school split was going to work. Uh, then they end up dropping down to division two and lo and behold, Wanakee, who would have been the favorite in division two, if they had stayed there, Wanakee ends up going up to division one. Um, thanks in large part, to be honest with you, to a win by Appleton West over Stevens Point. That was a big result in week number nine. If uh, if Stevens Point wins that game, I think they get in, push somebody else out, pushes Wanakee down, but instead Appleton West won 14 to seven, and that changed the dynamic of Division Two. Changed the dynamic of Division One for that matter, as Wanakee ends up in Division One. But again, what a story it would be if Sun Prairie thinks last year was their last chance and then they go on and win it this year in Division Two with uh, a split school and Wanakee going up and everything else that would have had to have happen for Sun Prairie East to win it. Division One, I stuck with my pre-season pick. I went with McGuanago. Went with McGuanago over Kimberly. Wanakee was a popular pick in Division One amongst our 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 panel. Uh, that Group B in Division One with Wanakee as the one seed, Nina as the two, Kimberly as the three. Really interesting who will come out of that. You got the potential for Kimberly Wanakee in level three. As I posted on Twitter today, an amazing stat. Since 2007, since and including 2007, one of those teams, at least one of those teams, has won a state title every year but two. And every year since and including 2007, except for 2020 COVID, uh, every year at least one of those teams has been in a state championship game. They played in a state championship game in Division Two back in 2009, Wanakee won that one as Kimberly was coming off two straight championships in D2. So what a what an amazing game that would be. Of course, we would first have uh, a potential Wanakee-Middleton rematch. We would first potentially have a Kimberly-Nina rematch. I think Fond du Lac uh, rematching with Kimberly in level one is fascinating. I think Brookfield East as a seven seed is really interesting. Not a typical seven seed for Nina. So just a lot going on in that bracket. And then on the other side, again, I took McGuanago to come out of that really strong group that includes Muskego, Badger, Oak Creek, Horlick, Franklin. Um, I know that they have not played as well late in the year. They were so dominant early. Winstang was so dominant early. They've, they've had a tough schedule, but things have kind of, you know, come back, come back down for them. But I still think I'm going to pick with uh, stick with my pick from before the playoffs of McGuanago. But tell you what, Muskego, they're they're maybe not as dynamic, not as dominating as they were a few years ago. But shoot, they could they could find themselves back in a state championship game as well. Um, Bayport is undefeated. I, I just I like the other teams on that side of the bracket and the other group. Arrowhead is a strong co- contender uh, on the other side. They were a little fortunate to to get up there in the group that they were in, away from Muskego and McGuanago. And, and I think I have I have uh, Arrowhead, in fact, making it to the the uh, the final four along with Bayport. But again, I have McGuanago over Kimberly as my state championship game in Division One. So there you go. That's my picks. You can find those on our article for our WSN staff and media partner football playoff picks. If I pick your team not to get to state and you do, go ahead and rub it in. That's fine. It happens every year. <laughs> no one's 100%, but I'll take my my record of uh, of picking wins and losses in the, the football playoffs over the years over uh, against anybody's. So, so that's it. Uh, you know, time to to get all of the uh, complaining out of the way, time to move past. I didn't get the seat I wanted and just play. Uh, Just go out and play and uh, get your wins, move on. And it's exciting time of the year. It's also a bittersweet time of the year, of course, as well. Half of the, you know, roughly half or, or little less than half of the seniors in the state of Wisconsin have played their last game. There is no more football for, for those players. They will never play again. And it's a very sad time. After this week, 
half the teams are out of the playoffs. So another half of all the seniors are done with their high school football careers, and, and most of them will never play organized football again. It's, it's a very bittersweet time, but uh, it's a fun time and an exciting time as we move into this, uh, this playoff period. Don't forget, volleyball and boys soccer started their playoff runs this week. Many of the other uh, fall sports are into postseason, if not into state tournament time. So it's a busy time of the year. Make sure you're glued to wisports.net. And changeover season, winter sports start just around the corner. You can order Mark Miller's Wisconsin Basketball Yearbook at wbby.com or on Wisports. Norbert Durst has got his girls basketball preseason content underway. Girls conference previews going already leading up to the start of the season. Practices for girls basketball begin November 7th. For boys basketball, start November 14th. So it'll be here before we know it. But that will do it for today's episode of the WSN Podcast. Let's take one more chance and remind you to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WSN Podcast. We'll see you at a game.